Shalom, and welcome to Heretics Standing at Sinai, a podcast for those in or adjacent to the Jewish community who are searching for a place to deepen their spirituality without sacrificing their rationality. I am Rabbi J. Tel Rav, and each week we'll have a conversation about ways to exist in the world as intentional presences and ways of making our lives mean something. Whether you've been exploring Jewish spirituality for years, or this is your first time considering it, we're glad you're here. I'm joined this week by two friends. The first is a returning guest. Alison Lear was on the podcast with me some time ago as we talked about the topic of humanity. But this time, joining us is her daughter, Elizabeth, a remarkable kid. At nine years old, she's been listening to these podcast episodes and discussing them with her mom. Elizabeth, I understand that you listen to them before bed. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> and uh, and when I heard that, I couldn't wait to get you onto this podcast and have a conversation about some of the things that you guys like to discuss. Uh, so, Elizabeth, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where do you go to school? Um, I go to Newfield Elementary School. Mm -hmm. And you're in third grade this year? Yes. Although only for a few more days. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Are you looking forward to the summer? Yeah. 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 Do you have any plans? Anything you're looking forward to? Um, vacation. Uh-huh. What do you do on vacation? What's, what's a perfect vacation day? I just like swimming a lot. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So I was asking you um, beforehand uh, to think a little bit about yourself as a nine-year-old. And my daughter is also a nine-year-old. So I can't help but think about the, the similarities and differences between you and my daughter. And I wondered if you would just think aloud when you think about nine-year-olds uh, in your class at school and other, other third graders here at Temple Sinai and the other kids your age that you experience in the world, what do you think is interesting about you when you think about all of them? What, what do you think might be special about Elizabeth Lear? Um, I feel like sometimes the other kids that are my age might not think as much as me because mm -hmm. I feel like I think a lot about what I am hearing and and I feel like I Mom, you want to want to compliment some of what she's saying? Compliment meaning like put it together, not like give you okay. like oh you're so smart. Elizabeth asks really good questions about what she learns and what she observes mm -hmm. in the world. That it, she doesn't accept things at face value and she comes home, she'll come home from school or she'll come home from Hebrew school and say, we learned about this thing, is that real? And I think um, the willingness to ask those questions and then to have a complicated conversation with me about it um, and to tell me what she thinks for me I won't differentiate Elizabeth. So I think that in my limited experience of this nine-year-old, what mm -hmm. you just said is is absolutely accurate. I don't think you're just a proud mama who's uh, <laughs> who's saying her kid is is really special. I think your kid really is. Now, uh, what do you think makes you just like every other nine-year-old? What do you like to do that all nine-year-olds like to do? Um, 
I do like eating candy. <laughs> <laughs> I love candy as well. So tell me your favorite candy. I really like lollipops, and I also really like Starburst. Interesting. Neither would have been near the top for me. I would have gone with. I, do you know Good and Plenty? They're like little licorice pieces. I love Good and Plenty, or I like gummy stuff too, like a gummy worms, gummy fish, Swedish fish, uh, gummy peaches, all that stuff. I love it. I I really like sour candy. Oh. Like. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You and my kids too. What is that about? <laughs> oh. All right. Um. Well, that was not a, a topic I expected to be discussed, but, but there you go. So, okay, so let's take a step step back. And um, I understand that you've been listening to the podcasts. Uh, are there any, any episodes or topics or comments that you remember that kind of stuck in your head that you thought, that's really interesting. I never thought about it that way before. Or I want to know more about that. Or I don't like that. Um... In Cantor Micah's episode, I thought about how she said that for her, theater was, like, acting. And, it, like, you were pretending. I thought about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you sometimes feel like there are times in your life where you're also acting, even though you're not on a stage? Yes. Yes. Yeah. What are some of the times you feel like, Mom, you're at? When do you feel like you're acting? When are we not? Right. Um, But I think, I I think it, I mean, often we have to act in work. We have to act um, even if our kids do something that upset us and we have to deal with it in a way that's actually going to create a positive outcome rather than just creating more conflict. Um, But I, I want to encourage you to say a little bit more about your response to that, Elizabeth, and, and what what you think about that in, with respect to theater, because you had another thought about that that we talked about. Um, so what I thought about is how, yes, like, you are kind of pretending. Like, theater is pretending in a way, but it can also, like, express... A, a very real topic or something that can like be real in life. So you're saying it's a way of bringing something very important out into the world using acting. Yes. Uh-huh. I think that's why we like um, playwrights that are good so much. I mean, it's probably why, Um, Shakespeare's plays are still being done all these years later because he was a master at bringing out for the rest of us a topic that we all, you know, topics that we are all familiar with that mean something really important to us in ways that we'd like to see, ah, I'm not the only one thinking about this. Are there times that you think of in your life where where you feel as though you're just acting? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Um... I was thinking about how you may have even heard me say this sometimes on Friday nights at the end of a long hard work work week, uh, it's time for Shabbat and I might be having dinner with my family at home and I'm having a great time and I'm just in a great mood and then it's time to go back to Temple Sinai for services. And some weeks, in fact, a lot of weeks, 
I would much rather just stay home in my PJs with my family. <laughs> and so I find that uh, sometimes for the first bit of the service, I'm acting up there. I get up there and I put a big smile on my face, even though I want to be at home. And I sound really positive, even though I'm feeling a little bit bored and down. And, and But then I often find that the acting becomes real, which I think is interesting. Uh, have you ever heard the expression, fake it until you make it? Some people use that to mean just get started doing what you think you need to do. And then eventually you get there. We talk about that around being excited or being nervous, right? Being excited and being nervous can feel really a lot the same. Mm -hmm. And so if you can tell yourself that that feeling is excitement, what do we call it, Elizabeth? Um, do you remember what we call that feel that nervitis when you're nervitis? <laughs> and it sounds like some sort of virus. But if I understand what mom is suggesting, she's saying that you can think your way into a feeling. So you may think you're feeling nervous, but if your brain can get right in there in the middle and say, no, don't think nervous, think excited, your brain can change the way you feel. That's a really interesting idea. Does that sound accurate to you? Can you decide, to some extent, decide how you want to feel about something? Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It takes practice, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, the two of you were also talking a fair bit, I understand, about commandedness. And, um... Judaism has a long tradition of commandedness. Uh, we like the idea of commands. And I wonder when you hear the word commanded, what does it make you think of? Um, well, we talked about that commandedness means like you feel compelled. Mm -hmm. You feel compelled to do something because... Well, do you think compelled... What do you think is the difference between compelled and commanded? Commanded, well, if someone commands com you... Com like, if someone commands you to do something, then, like, you do it because you are told to. Mm -hmm. But... And it doesn't matter how you feel about it, right? Yeah. If uh, if I command you to go clean your room, you go clean your room because I have more power than you and, and you're obeying what I say even if you don't want to, right? Yes. But if you feel compelled to go clean your room, where's that coming from? Well, sometimes, like, I feel compelled to clean my room because I know it's the right thing. Like... Uh-huh. And in doing the right thing, what do you get out of it? Well, I feel good when I've accomplished something. Mm -hmm. And when I've... Yeah. Mom and mom comes home and sees that you've cleaned your room without being asked. You felt yes. compelled to do it. What happens next? Um, well, she would usually, like, she would be proud of me. And that makes... Like, that makes me feel good. Yeah. 
So very often in our, in our Jewish texts, the rabbis, the old rabbis used to talk about God as sort of a parent, uh, a father or a mother sometimes, and the Jewish people as God's children. And the reason I think they do that is because as human beings, we totally understand what you just described. You want to make your parent feel proud and good. Why? Why do you want to make mom feel good? Well, because then you feel good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You feel good. So do you feel like you've got stuff to say thank you to mom for? Yes. Like what? For for the time she takes to um, care for us. Mm-hmm. And At this point in your life, just about everything. Yes. She gave you life. Yes. She gave you your freckles. <laughs> she gave you that shirt you're wearing. <laughs> and she gave you the, the way of seeing the world. She gives you everything. Everything you are, almost, <laughs> is thanks to mom and dad. Right? Yes. So there's this lovely chance for you to look for ways to make her feel good, almost as a way of saying thank you. Does that feel right? Yes. I mean, it's prob- I, have you ever thought of it like that before? I'm taking cleaning your room and, and putting it in a really big context. Well, not really. Yeah. <clears throat> so when you feel compelled, let me say it differently. Sometimes when people um, try to be the best they can be, they would say something like what I just heard you say. They try to be good people because they feel grateful for who they are, what they have. They feel grateful to maybe God, maybe just grateful. And what can they do? If you feel good and grateful, what can, can you possibly do to express that? Some people say nice things. You know, if you're feeling good about your life, doing nice things for others is a lovely way to express that. Does that sound right to you? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, I happen to know that you're a nice kid as well. Like in your school classroom, mom told me little bits about how you behave. And I've seen you here at Temple Sinai. When do you think you you act like a nice kid? Um, I don't really think that I'm acting like a nice kid. Well, what I do is just, I just try to be nice because I know it's the right thing and... Huh. It's an interesting clarification. I think I know what you might mean, but can you tell me what the difference is between acting like a nice kid and just trying to do the nice thing? Well, I feel like acting like a nice kid... Like, it depends. It depends. Acting like a nice kid may just mean, like, you are acting nice. Uh And... Doesn't matter whether you're a nice kid or not. If you're doing nice things, that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I, I, I thought that's what you might mean, but I just wanted to make sure... 
That's such a great clarification. So give me an example of something nice you might do. Um, well, if my, if my friend is crying or hurt, I might go over to her or him and like ask them what is wrong mm -hmm. and try to comfort them. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do as their friend. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And have you ever been that kid who's crying and somebody was kind to you? Yeah. Yeah. And even if you hadn't, you can look at another person who's crying and think, they could probably use a little bit of niceness right now. Yeah. You know what that, that, that expression is I'm, I'm starting to describe? when you see somebody and you know what it feels like to be them? Um. Yeah, you're about to say it. I can see it on your lips. Mm -hmm. oh. Empathy. There Empathy. it is. <laughs> Empathy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love empathy. I love how, how natural it is to see another person and to want them to be better because we're just like them. I love that. Um, hmm. What about this question of being good or being bad? You and I live in a world where we hear about bad behavior all the time on the news. And I don't know if you do this, but my kids come home from school and the first thing they want to tell me is about other kids who are behaving badly. What is it about bad behavior that we all find so interesting? Mama, I'll let you jump in too if you want to think aloud with us. Why do we immediately want to hear the bad news, the bad behavior, the examples of the Yetzer Hara, the worst part of humans? I mean, maybe there's something to to, there's a contrast with our, there, maybe there's part of it that it's because it makes us feel better about our own behavior. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's also a need to understand why that's happening, mm -hmm. why that bad behavior is happening, why those bad choices are happening. I think that's a real human question. Mm -hmm. it, are they choices that are happening? Is there something inherent about someone Mm -hmm. It's making them make bad choices. Yeah. Or we talk about hurting. I've said to you before, Elizabeth, hurt people hurt people. Sometimes bad behavior is coming from something else that's going on with somebody. Right. Like so you mean people who have been hurt are the kinds who will hurt people? Yes. That's really a powerful lesson. Does that sound about right to you? Yes. Yeah. A lot of times people who are bullies were bullied themselves and yeah it's a cycle and and this rabbi that you and i are reading rami mm -hmm. shapiro is pretty clear about how some of the stuff in the in the torah is really ugly really bad behavior and so why do we even still tell it and he says it's because that kind of behavior exists in all of us but we just work really hard to make sure it stays inside and doesn't come out as actual actions does that sound right to you? Yes. Yeah. And 
in school, I was I was reading this story with another group of kids. There was a kid in the story who had been behaving badly. And when we finished the story and we were talking about it, one of the girls referred to him as the bad kid. And then the teacher reminded her that, well, the kid isn't bad. He just made a bad choice. I have a funny story that's almost exactly the same. You know that I like to tell stories. So I was telling a story to my kids, my my class of, of religious school kids in Denver before I came to Temple Sinai. And I had a big room full of kids and they were a little younger than you, not much. And I told a story about how uh, when we come home from Temple on Friday night, there is a good angel on one shoulder and a bad angel on the other shoulder. And I went on. It, it's a classic story. I won't tell the whole thing now. But I went on for a little while until this cute little girl in the front row raised her hand and said, Rabbi, there are no bad angels. They're just angels that make bad choices. And I loved that, that observation. Uh, but the rabbis didn't use angels in quite that way. I think what they were doing was saying we all have a little bad in us. Uh, and we all have good in us. And um, there's a Native American story. Have you heard the one about the wolves? No. There's a Native American grandfather talking to his young grandson. And they're sitting around the campfire. And he's talking about how each of us has two wolves inside of us who are doing battle. There's a good wolf and a bad wolf. And the more he describes it, the more excited his grandson becomes until his grandson says, Grandpa, which wolf wins? And his grandfather said, whichever one you feed. What do you think that means? Obviously, they're not real wolves inside you. <laughs> so what does it mean to feed the imaginary good wolf inside you or to feed the imaginary bad wolf? Well, what what I think right now that means, um, the more good deeds you do, then like that means you are feeding the good wolf. And if your choices are not the best, then you are feeding the bad wolf. Give me a high five. That was perfect. <laughs> And what's cool about that idea is if the good wolf wins by getting fed and you feed the good wolf with good deeds, then the good wolf gets stronger and stronger and the next good deed gets easier and easier. It's like a cycle that pulls you in further and further. There's a song we sometimes sing in religious school called Mitzvah Goreret Mitzvah. And it means one good deed leads to the next good deed. And it goes on with Avera, Goerit Avera. The bad choices, they will often lead to more bad choices. And uh, before we know it, we could look in the mirror and see the person looking back at us is not someone we're proud of. How do we connect that to Torah and like the mm -hmm. stories, mm -hmm. right? Because I just, I remember Elizabeth came home, she said, Noah's Ark. <laughs> that really happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I, I, I wonder if you could talk about that a little, a little bit, because I think that's something I'm curious 
to put more language around mm -hmm. for both of the kids. It's like the difference between a story being, being a fact and a story being mm -hmm. true. And how do we parse that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you remember having that conversation with mom? About One things like, like yes. uh, Noah's Ark and yes. did it really happen? Or did Moses really split the Red Sea and walk through on dry land? Is that actually possible? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Do you think Noah's Ark, the story, could have happened the way it was told? Do you think a guy could build a boat big enough to hold two of every animal on the planet and that he could go and collect two <laughs> of every animal on the planet? No. And then it would float for 180 days? No. No, I don't think so either. So, all right, we've decided that those stories probably didn't happen the way that they're told. <laughs> now, what do we do with that? Um, do you know the story of Cinderella? Yes. Okay. Cinderella, if I remember correctly, had two nasty stepsisters yes. and a stepmother yes. and a fairy godmother who came and, and yeah. birds and mice who sewed her up a dress for a yes. ball, right? <laughs> and glass slippers. Did that all happen just like that? Is that real? No, no. But what do we learn from it? What happens for Cinderella's stepsisters? They're nasty. And do they, what's their dream? Do you remember? The stepsisters? They, they want to marry the prince. Correct. And they're nasty. So do they get that? No. No. And who gets to marry the prince? Cinderella. And we like Cinderella because she's... She's a good person. Exactly. <laughs> so is that stuff true? Do good people draw good people together? It makes sense that Cinderella would would find the prince. The prince would find Cinderella because two good people are going to want to be together. The prince, who's awesome, is not going to want to be with these nasty stepsisters. So it's true what the story of Cinderella teaches us, even though the story itself is inaccurate. So I think about a lot of the Torah that... It doesn't matter if it's accurate. The truths are very much there. I think we still do our kids a disservice. I think we don't trust you guys enough to be able to mm -hmm. think a little bit more critically about stories. We tell you those fairy tales as if they're true. Somehow kids know that Cinderella is not a true story <laughs> or Snow White or Little Red Riding Hood. So we tell them stories from the Torah and we forget to make them into stories to teach us. And then we're supposed to take them when they get a little older than you. You're not supposed to be asking these questions yet. <laughs> and we start talking to them about, okay, well, these stories are in the Torah, but are they all true? Mm. Not accurate. We know that most of them are probably not accurate, <laughs> but some of them aren't even true. You know, we have some pretty awful stories in the Torah that we don't teach our kids, but they're there. And so the next level for us as serious people who consider truth and meaning, we have to stop and look at those. And, and Rabbi Shapiro says this really clearly. Not everything in the Torah is divine. It doesn't all come from yeah. the best place in, in humanity. Some of it comes from a pretty ugly place.
Elizabeth, I wanted to ask you what what did you think about the word mitzvah? What did you think a word the word mitzvah meant before we started having um, the conversation? I thought that mitzvot meant like good deeds, but but you do it because you know it's the right thing and you feel compelled to. Right. And Rabbi, is it still good if you have to be told to do it? Mm. Or is there some ethical or spiritual difference between feeling compelled and being commanded? Mm. Before we try that one, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna take a different approach. Do you know the word sadaka, Elizabeth? Yes. How would you translate sadaka? Um, I forgot what it actually means, but... How would you describe it? What does tzedakah look like? Well, we have a, a tzedakah box, mm-hmm. and usually on Shabbat, we put coins in there. Um, and who are the coins for? For people who need them. Mm-hmm people who don't have much money. Is there an English word you can think of that describes that that whole little tzedakah thing? Um. You know the word. You've used it before. You, you're just not aware of what I'm going for. Yeah. Which word am I thinking of, Mom? Charity or philanthropy. Mm-hmm. I, I was gonna I was gonna say charity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Good. So I'm gonna use the example of tzedakah and charity to explain mitzvah and commandedness, okay? People misunderstand tzedakah. It doesn't mean charity. Tzedakah means righteousness or justice. Charity comes from the Latin word caritas, which is related to love. And a Christian notion of putting coins in a box is because you love your neighbor. And so you put coins in the box for him or for her because they need it. But Judaism says, what if you don't love your neighbor? What if you're not feeling love for them and you don't want to help them? Judaism says you still put coins in the box for them because it is the just thing or the right thing to do. So tzedakah becomes in our minds a lot like charity but there's another element to it. And there's a, there's a, it doesn't matter how you feel kind of element. So now we get over to mitzvah and it's almost the same thing. We think of mitzvahs as good deeds and that's how most people will, will translate it. Uh, and in fact, I heard a rabbi once say, there's actually two words. There's mitzvah, which is the Hebrew pronunciation. And then there's mitzvah, which is the Yiddish pronunciation. <laughs> and a mitzvah is good deeds. But a mitzvah is a command. And why do we do the mitzvah? Because if we're not feeling in a good mood, if we're not feeling particularly generous that day, if we don't like the person who we're about to do a mitzvah for, uh, Judaism says, you still have to do it. You're compelled to do it. But where's that compulsion coming from? Who's making you do it? I heard you say before, Elizabeth, it's you who's making you do it. I would say, God is making you do it. It just feels like you. And I have a really hard time separating whether it's me in there or God in there. 
who says, just do it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes. What if it's God's voice saying, Elizabeth, go over to that kid over there and make sure she's okay. You know, could that be God's voice in your head? Uh, yes. But does it feel like it is? Or do you think that, that I'm pushing a little? I, it, like, I don't think that it's... Mm -hmm. Do you believe that God has a voice? Well, yeah. Also, I, I don't actually feel like God is really a person. Mm -hmm. Like a person. I... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if God's not a person, can God have a voice in your head? Way. Yeah. 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 I don't think so either, by the way. <laughs> I think we have a conscience. I think all of us knows what's right and wrong. And I'm just not sure who it is that's teaching me that. I mean, I know who Jay is, but suddenly there's this voice that's telling Jay what to do. Is that the higher Jay? Is that the real J? Is that, can I just, just for fun, can I call that voice God? I don't know. I kind of, I, sometimes I think so. Sometimes it feels like a push. <laughs> hmm. Do you ever have a moment, Elizabeth, where you see something happening and you know it's not the right thing and you set, you have a conversation with yourself about what to do? Yes, um, at my after-school program, one of the boys I know, who is my friend, he, he fell and got hurt, and what, what I thought I should do was, like, run over there and see if he was okay and help him, but I, I felt like the other kids would make fun of me. So you had a conversation yes. in your head about this is what I want to do, but this is what I'm nervous about, and this yeah. is what might happen as a result, and I don't want to be made fun of, and all those voices in your head, right? And I didn't, I didn't go help him. Mm -hmm. Um. How do you I feel was, looking back on it? I'm disappointed in myself, but. I'm going to try to make a better decision next time. Growth happens here. Mm. <laughs> we say that all the time here at Temple Sinai. None of us are the person that we know that we can be. All of us have those moments where we look back and say, I would do it again differently. Hmm. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. That was a, a human story, and it was brave of you to share it. I suspect that, Elizabeth, you and I are going to have a long, fun journey together. I think we're going to have great conversations over the years uh, because you're a remarkable soul. You're smart. You're insightful. You're observant. And I really like the, the conversations we have. So I will say to Elizabeth and Allison Lear, thank you so much for spending this time with me. 
Thank you. Thank you. This was fun. And all of you out there who are listening, I'm really glad you spent this time with us as well. You can click below for a, a transcript of today's conversation. Uh, if you had any trouble hearing what was being said or would like to hear more clearly, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to be notified of the, the future episodes as they come out, you can click on the subscribe button and be sure to share the idea with someone that you know who will enjoy exploring this spiritual approach as well. And until next time, all you heretics out there, stand proud. <laughs>